man, we're going to have, we're going to have a good time today. Um, let me get a couple announcements. I want to get them out to you. Number one is Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Eve. We're having four services on Christmas Eve, five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. Uh, and it's going to be a candlelight, <laughs> candlelight. I, I got to keep, I got to, I got to make sure in these announcements, I still got your attention. Um, candlelight services. We're going to hold them down at the Shaw campus. Uh, so everybody come down there. It's going to be beautiful. It's just going to be absolutely awesome. And now, um, and, and, and I want to give you one other one. And that is uh, last, last week when I announced our, our prayer stuff that's going to happen at the beginning of the month, I saw some looks of trepidation on some of your faces because of all the fasting and the prayer and all that. Okay. So um, we talked to the school districts uh, this week and it turns out that they don't open until uh, we can't get in there actually until January 7th. Um, and so those of you who did not were worried about the 30 days of prayer, fasting, and fitness, you'll be happy to know God answered your prayers today. We're only going to do 25 days. All right? All right. God works in mysterious ways. Um, so you'll get, you'll get more information about this. Um, but we're going to kick it off on January 7th. January 7th. But um, please, if you do not, if you are not receiving any email correspondence from me, fill out your connection card so that I can uh, keep you updated on all the details about that. But it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great way to kick off the new year. Prayer, fasting, and fitness. Body, soul, mind, spirit, uh, faith, and fitness. It's, it's, it's all about, you know, we're going to start off the year doing everything we can to get tied in and connected with God in every aspect of our life. So we invite you out to that. All right? Um, I want to jump into part three of our Messiah series. So if you're taking notes today, you can get out your sermon notes. Uh, we're in a series called Messiah, and we're exploring uh, what the ancient prophets taught us about uh, the one who is to come. The one who is to bring liberty and deliverance and hope and justice and peace to the earth. In fact, we've been exploring as an anchor verse a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah who prophesied 700 years before Jesus. And this is what he prophesied. He said, for unto us a child is born. In other words, the Messiah is going to come as a little baby. Uh, a vulnerable little child. Uh, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. In other words, he's going to be in, he's going to be in charge. He's going to be in control. Uh, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Today I want to spend some time on the nature of the Messiah in his role as Everlasting Father in your life. Everlasting Father. And I want to begin today with... Uh, with a, a statement that I believe to be true about each and every one of us. Uh, and it's based on my experience and based on research. Uh, and we see it in literature and we see it in the scripture. And the, the statement is simply this. Your relationship or lack thereof with your father, and I'm talking about your earthly father, is one of the most influential forces in your life. Your relationship or lack thereof with your earthly father is one of the most powerful and influential relationships in your life, for better or for worse. Uh, if you had a, a good and loving and kind father, and I was blessed uh, by, by having a father who was an honorable man and a man of integrity and a man of, of kindness and, and, a, and a morally upstanding man, I, I was fortunate to have that. And so much of my life has been influenced by, by modeling my life 
uh, to be like him in a lot of ways. And there are a lot of attributes and qualities about him that I, that I want to be like. And, and a lot of times when I'm thinking about what, you know, what to do or what decisions to make, a lot of times I'll think about, well, what would he do? Uh, what, what would he do? What decision would he make? Um, if you did not have a good experience with your father, uh, if your father was not someone who you could emulate and look up to and, 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 and follow, uh, then a part of your life is influenced by your desire to be different from your father. Now you say, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to have those qualities. I don't want to experience that. I don't want to act like that. Uh, I don't want to think like that. I don't want to treat people that way. But either way, whether you had a good father or you had uh, a bad father, you had a good relationship with your father or a bad relationship or no relationship with your, with your father at all, the relationship or lack thereof has a strong influence on your life. And it's been this way throughout history, throughout the history of humankind. We see in ancient literature... Uh, we see uh, in, in 429 B.C., uh, the playwright Sophocles, the Greek playwright Sophocles, wrote a, a, a play called Oedipus Rex. And it was the story about a king who inadvertently killed his own father. And it explores some of the dynamics of, of that deep, pr almost primordial relationships, a relationship that we have with our fathers. If we look in, in Genesis and we see uh, Jacob and Esau, very early on in the scripture, we see two young men vying for the attention, vying for the blessing, vying for the love of their father. Their, their, their lives are animated by and focused on trying to win their father's attention and father's blessing and father's love. Uh, and, and we see this theme throughout, throughout history and literature and plays and, and even in movies. Some of you uh, may remember there was a unique kind of relationship between these two characters in a movie that you may be familiar with. Um, and and if, you, if you remember correctly, there was a pretty important line of dialogue and probably the most known and famous line in the entire Star Wars series. And it was when Darth Vader said to Luke Skywalker, <laughs> that was a good accent too. Um, for a more sunny and cheery picture and a little slightly more modern picture of the father-child dynamic, maybe you remember these two. Uh, that, that, yeah, I, was, I just needed to bring you back up here. Uh, uh, you know, and, and in, even, in this, even in this story where Mufasa and Simba, you know, there's a love, but, but, but Mufasa dies very early on. And then the voice of his father, the voice of Mufasa keeps coming back to Simba and saying, remember who you really are. You're my son. And there's a, there's a depth, there's a, something about that, that nature, the nature of that father and parent relationship that is so deep that each of us knows that, 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 that it impacts us deep in our life. It, it impacts who we, who we become, who we aspire to be. It impacts the way we view ourselves. It impacts our view of our self-worth. It impacts uh, uh, what, we, what we do as a career. It impacts who we marry or don't marry. It has a profound impact in every aspect of our life and and when the relationship is not good when the relationship is 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 broken which to some extent every father child relationship is broken because every father is an imperfect human being every father was fathered imperfectly uh, every father's father was fathered imperfectly and so there's just uh, because of the nature of who we are there's a brokenness in that relationship between father and child and a lot of times uh, Therapists or counselors will informally use the phrase father wounds 
to describe the kind of emotional pain that you can carry in your life if you've had a, uh, a complicated or difficult or disruptive relationship with your father. Uh, because there's just, whether your father intended or didn't intend, was intentional or not about it, it just, it, there, there, there's brokenness in that relationship. There's brokenness from the beginning of time. You know, the very first, the very first man uh, ran from his father and hid from his father. If you remember in the garden, the father was saying, Adam, where are you? Right? There's just, there's always been this brokenness. Um, some of you may have experienced a distant father. A father who was emotionally unavailable. Uh, and for whatever reason, whether he intended to withhold or he, uh, 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 he didn't intend to withhold, maybe he never had emotion uh, conveyed to him or love or affection. And so throughout your life, you have longed for uh, the, the touch and the, the affection and the love of a father. And a lot of times if you've had a distant father in your, in your past, then uh, when you grow up, you are always seeking that affirmation and you're always seeking that affection and you end up going into relationships. A lot of times people that had a distant father will dive in quickly to a relationship and then when there's any tension or any fear that, uh, of, of the person drawing back, then they'll jump back out of the relationship and, and, and they can become clingy and then they can become distant and it's just, it's a, it's a wound, it's a brokenness because of the brokenness that we all experience in our relationships. Uh, maybe for you it was a, a disapproving Father, that you really wanted your father to express pride in you and to say, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm, I believe in you. I respect you. And, you. and you strived for that and you worked for that and you didn't receive that. And so later in life, you find yourself always striving to get the accolades and always striving to, 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 to win the approval of other people. Or maybe even win the approval of God. And it affects your relationship with God in the sense that you're now striving to be as good as you can be so that God will love you. And you're always feeling like, I just don't know if I'm receiving that kind of affirmation that I need. That sense of pride in who you are. Uh, for some people, they had a more domineering father. And this would be the kind of father who uh, maybe they were wounded or hurt or abused as a child and their only way of relating to their children is like a time bomb they're explosive uh, they're kind and tender and gentle at one moment and then man before you even know it something happens and they just come at you and and you, you walk on eggshells around them and and a domineering father can can inflict deep harm on a child uh, they can be mentally abusive or emotionally abusive, physically abusive, or even sexually abusive. And when you have an experience like that, it becomes very, very difficult to see God as father because the only model that you have is a father that has wounded you and harmed you. And people that have been deeply wounded in this way tend to become hypervigilant in other relationships. And they, they often become controlling because they just don't want to get hurt again. And anybody who extends a hand to them, they, they don't see an open hand, they see a fist. And so they, they draw back and they become rigid and, and, and it becomes very, very difficult for them to engage in peaceable, loving, open relationships. And then the final kind of father would be the disappearing father. Some of you would say, you know, I, I just never knew him. Either because of divorce or absence or neglect or abandonment or death, he just was never there. Uh, I have a very dear friend who, uh, whose father uh, was just never there for him. And uh, he told me, this is a long time ago, he told me that he would, uh, throughout his life, he would seek, 
He would seek to look. He would look at other men just to see how to be a man, how to stand, how to walk, how to how to cross his legs, how to shave, how to. He would just look at other men. But the problem was a lot of times the other men that he was looking at uh, were also fatherless. And so it was the blind leading the blind. And he for a long time until he received God in his life and and it received the everlasting father as Messiah of his own heart. he, he, He kept going down wrong paths because we can all be. We can all be influenced deeply by the brokenness that we have in our own experiences, in our own life. And so God says to us, I'm going to send a Messiah. And one of the qualities that that Messiah is going to have is he's going to be an everlasting father. He's going to express what I am. He's going to express the richness and the love and the depth and the joy and the power of what you can experience when you have a loving father who is everlasting who does not disappear, who does not go away from you, who does not withdraw from you, but pursues you in love and appreciation and pride. I'm going to send you that kind of a Messiah. And when Jesus came, he he taught us. In fact, one of his most famous parables was about a father. He he taught us in Luke 15 uh, about a father and two sons. And he says in Luke 15, he says, there was a man who had two sons. Many of you know this story. Uh, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So right right from the beginning, we see there's a conflict. There's a tension between father and son. Because the, the, the son, really, when he says, give me my fair share of the estate, what he's saying is, you are dead to me. That's what he's saying. Because the reality is the son doesn't own anything. He's not deserved it. He hasn't done anything to win it. Uh, this is his father's estate. And he's saying, it's my estate. I want my estate. In other words, uh, I, to me, you are as good as dead. I want what I want. I want it now. So the father divided the property between the sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. He just, he, he got it illicitly and he spent it illicitly. Uh, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and the son began to be in need. He found himself in a position where suddenly he realized and began to recognize that he needed what the father had. He needed uh, some things that he had thrown away. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. In other words, Jesus tells this story to a group of Jewish people. The the worst possible job for them could be to feed the pigs of, of, of someone in a faraway country. And so this child, this young man, has found himself in the muck of life, in the dregs of life. Uh, mucking about in the hardest and most unpleasant and most frustrating kind of situation that you could ever imagine. Uh, Some of us have found ourselves from time to time in situations like that where we have been away from our father and we've tried to do it on our own and we have found ourselves in uh, dire straits. Uh, So he went and hired himself. Uh, He longed, the scripture says, to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. We see in this story a young man who is distant, who is alone, who is far away, who is not experiencing the love of the Father. And in that aloneness and in that distance, he is feeling uh, broken and lost and empty. Uh, All of us, if we are honest with ourselves, we will experience moments in our life where we are distant from our Heavenly Father. 
and we feel a, a, a gap between him and us. In fact, I read an article this week. It was a, such a sad article. It was a pastor in D.C. who had been pastoring for 30 years and he loved God and he loved his church and he loved his family. But he, he said from the pulpit, he said, I just feel so far from God. He had allowed his, his, his profession uh, to take the, the place of his relationship with his father. And he just longed. And we've all felt this at time, uh, from time to time. We've all felt that sort of distance from God and that aloneness. But God sends his son to express to us what the, the nature and the characteristics and the qualities of the everlasting father are for us. And the first one that he talks to us about is, is this. He's near to you even now. If you want to begin to understand what the everlasting father is like, if you had a distant father, that's not what the everlasting father is like. In fact, he's so near to you. And this is a reality that I want us to take a moment and grasp, okay? All of us at Shaw and here. Your heavenly father, the father, God, is here now. Now. Present here. Now, not a distant, far off specter in the sky, but he's here, right here, in this room, right now. And when you leave here and you get in your car, he's there. And when you go home and lie down in your bed, he's there. When you get up tomorrow morning, he's there. When my, my little daughter Eden, I remember the first time that she discovered her shadow. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's a, it's a funny thing. Uh, when a child discovers their shadow, we were on a playground and, 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 and it was sunny and she's playing and maybe two years old and she glances down and sees that there's something attached to her foot. And so she begins to do kind of like tries to do. And then she jumps and then she climbs up on a slide. And no matter what, she, finally she just gave into it. Okay, okay, I guess this is a reality. That's the nature of the relationship and the proximity of God with you. No matter where you go, he's there. No matter where you've been, he's there. In fact, let me read you the scripture on this. The scripture says that he is, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He's near. In fact, the, the more broken you are, the closer he is. He's like a good father who says, oh, you're, you're crying out in need. Let me just draw a little bit closer to you. He is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The apostle Paul was preaching and then some of us say, well, yeah, but, but I don't even, I don't even know if I believe in him. I don't even know what to think about Jesus. The apostle Paul was preaching in Athens in the book of uh, Acts chapter 17. And I love what he said to these Athenians and these Athenians were, 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 were Stoics and, and Epicureans. And they had, we were all these philosophers from different backgrounds and different standpoints and different viewpoints. None of them were Christians. Look what he says in Acts chapter 17. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, he's not far from any of us. He's saying, in fact, he had looked at a statue that they had erected there in Athens. And it said to the unknown God. And he said, that's the guy I'm talking to you about. And he is here now for in him. And then he starts quote, quoting their philosophers. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. In other words, he's not just near. He's, he's surrounding you. He's in you. You're moving through him. And then, as some of your own people have said, we are his, his offspring. We're his children. We're his. There's nothing that, in fact, James, Jesus' brother says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. He's the opposite of a distant father. All you have to do is take one little step towards him and he's rushing back towards you. Uh, David, in, in the Psalm 139, he says, where can I go from your spirit? 
Uh, where can I flee from your presence? If I, if I were to, to, to ascend up into heaven, there you would be. He said, if I make my bed in hell, there you will be. If I take flight on the wings of the dawn, if I head to the far side of the sea, there you will be. Your presence is with me no matter where I go. And that's not just geography, that's time. He was with you in your past. He's with you in your future. He's with you when you're running from him. He's with you when you're running to him. No matter where you go, he's here. He's near you even now. And he's not near you in that judging, condemning way. He's not a disapproving father. In fact, the scripture teaches us that he delights in his children. He delights in his children. He sees you as someone special. You're his beloved child. This is something that I don't, I don't think we fully understand this. But he sees us specifically and uniquely and individually as his, and he delights in his children. He delights. When we were throwing our dream team party last year, uh, uh, we have a big dream team party every year, and we got, you know, we just pull out all the stops, and every member of the dream team comes, and we have a big dinner, and we have a blast, and entertainment, and fun, and it's just really exciting. And we were planning it last year, and we were in the planning meeting, and we're trying to come up with some stuff for the, the, the thing and uh, for the party. And somebody says, oh, we should have a, a gauntlet of appreciation. And I said, oh, okay, what's that? And they said, well, what we should do is we should line up by the doors. And when people come in, we just, we just applaud them. We just delight in them. And I said, okay, that sounds a little weird, but um, we're going to go with it. And so it turned out to be... The, the favorite feature of many people at the dream team party because what we did is we were standing at the doors of the of the place and whenever anybody walked you know walked in we just went like this yeah. Woo! and I tell you I mean people were like wait what but it's like all we're doing we're celebrating you in fact people felt so overjoyed by it that many people didn't even go into the, to the party. They said, can I join the gauntlet of appreciation? The gauntlet of appreciation stretched, you know, 20 people long after a while. It was just because, because it's, there's something special about feeling appreciated and delighted in. I, I want to read you a, a, one of my favorite scriptures about the way God sees you. It's from the, the uh, book of Zephaniah. It says, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, he'll save. And he will rejoice over you with gladness. And this is the image that I think is so beautiful. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Like think about the, the sweetness of that image. The Lord your God has got a gauntlet of appreciation around you. He looks at you the way a, a doting father looks at his baby. And he loves you and he's singing over you. He's like singing songs of joy about how much he delights in you. If we understood that, those of us who are striving to be perfect so that God will love us, if we understood that, do you know how relaxing that would be? Do you know how much we could just, do you know how many risks we could take? Do you know how many things we could try knowing that we are in the loving grasp of a father who delights over us? A, a father who just rejoices over us with singing? Who just, who just is proud of us? I love in, in, in the scriptures when we meet Jesus, when he's about to launch his, his public ministry, um, he gets baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And it's a, it's a beautiful moment. And in the book of Matthew, it says uh, that the voice of the father says to the people around, says, 
this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I like that. It's, it's, a, good, it's a good statement. But I really like the way it's described in the, the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. Because in the Gospel of Matthew, he's saying it to the people that are listening. But when you hear it from the perspective of Mark and of Luke, he actually says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He is speaking directly into the heart and the ears of Jesus and saying, I adore you. I delight in you. I rejoice in you. Somebody here today needs to hear that God delights in you with singing. He rejoices over you. He loves you. He's proud of you. You are special to him. He adores you. Somebody, somebody needs to hear that today. In fact, if you're here today and you're saying, I don't need that, you're probably the one that needs to hear that today. Because you're still striving to, sh to demonstrate how you've got it together on your own. God wants to crush that and say, you know what, I just, you don't have to prove yourself to me. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody. I got you. I love you. You're mine. I'm proud of you. I rejoice in you. Amen. Because when we get off and when we fall off track and we start to think of God as that domineering God, what, what Jesus teaches us as everlasting father is that he guides us with grace. He guides us with grace. In other words, even when he's correcting us, even when he's uh, chastising us, he's doing it with love. He's doing it to demonstrate how we should go, not just to punish us for where we went that we shouldn't have gone. Um, I've, I've uh, grown up in sports and, and, and done sports all my life, and, and uh, I've had good coaches and I've had bad coaches. Uh, and I had a coach when I was a kid um, who shall go unnamed who was not at the top tier of coaching capacity. Let's just put it that way. He, um, and, and you know, God bless him, he might have had some bad experiences himself, but he would show up to practice, and this is, this is like peewee football. We're the little kids. Uh, it was actually flag football. We were just little kids. Uh, he would show up to practice and we, you know, tell us to run these plays, and we didn't know how to run the plays. I mean, we're just little kids. Um, and rather than demonstrate how to run the plays, he would just get angry at us for not running the plays right. And then he would start barking at us and then he would say, run laps. And we would end up running laps around the field all practice. And so as the year got further along, we didn't get better, we got worse. Because not only did we still not know how to play the game, but now we were feeling a little uh, uninspired, unmotivated um, by, by this coaching approach. Uh, he would literally stand and, and I, I think he had a substance abuse problem too because uh, there, was, there was that component in his coaching. Uh, and he would just yell at us and scream at us the whole time. And, and, you know, pretty soon you're like, you just sort of give up. Like, all right, that year we actually did not score a single touchdown. We did not score a single field goal. We did not score anything. Um, we would get beat by, you know, they'd have to stop the games because at a mercy rule, like we just got hammered, right? Um, because we, 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 he, he approached us from that domineering standpoint. But, but Jesus does it very differently. In fact, when he describes his approach to teaching and guiding us, here's what he uses. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let, let me tell you something, what he, what he says, because we, we miss this. What he's saying is a yoke is what you put over a couple oxen and they pull the plow and they pull the plow through the field. When he says, take my yoke upon you, what he's saying is, I'm already up under the yoke. I'm inviting you to come. I'm already, I'm already plowing the field. I want you to come up under my yoke because I'm going to plow the field with you. 
And, and I'm going to show you how to plow the field. I'm going to guide you by doing it. I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to be right there next to you. I'm not going to stand up on the porch and bark orders at you. I'm going to walk this thing out with you. I'm going to, we're going to do this together. And in fact, I'm going to pull the heavy weight. The one scripture says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is his yoke easy and his burden light? Because he's the one pulling the weight. You know, he's the one, he's the one pulling you through. He's the one walking you through. So, so we don't have to see God as some domineering, some domineering father up in the sky. We can open our life and open our heart and say, God, I need to be corrected from time to time. I do get off the path from time to time. But since I have a, a loving father who is proud of me and is near me and who loves me, I can open up my life and I can get up under his yoke and I can learn from him and he can lead me and he can guide me. And the last thing I want to tell you about the everlasting father is this. He pursues in love. He's not a disappearing father. He's not an absentee father. In fact, he's a father that is in radical pursuit of you even now. Uh, I spoke to another friend a while back who said, I keep looking for God, but I can't find him. And I, I didn't think of it at the time. But the truth is, after I thought about it, the truth is, is we're not looking for God. He's looking for us. God is always in pursuit of you. He's, in fact, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you just open the door, I'll come in. He's looking for you. He's in pursuit of you. He wants to be with you. Jesus ends the story of the son by saying that the son... Uh, finally came to his senses and decided, I need to go back to the father. Maybe I can go back as a slave. Maybe I can just go back and earn my worth. And I can just, I can just grunt this out. And I can get back in the presence of my father. And so he goes back to his father's property. And the scripture says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and his father was filled with compassion. His father was up on the porch scanning the horizon for the return of his son. And the father ran to his son. He pursued him. He pulled up his cloak and ran through the fields. Now, this is a man who, had, who his son had publicly, had publicly shamed him, had publicly said, I don't, I, you're dead to me. I, don't want, I, don't, I want what's mine and I want out of here. And yet the father pulled up his, his cloak and ran off the porch for his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. In other words, I still have to prove myself, Dad. I, I still have to prove that I'm good enough. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know what's interesting about that last line? He was lost and is now found. He actually knew where the father was the whole time. He wasn't, he wasn't lost in the sense that he didn't know his way home. He knew how to get home. All he had to do was return to the love of his father. And by the way, it was the older son needed to do the same thing. The older son was proving his worth because he got mad. Said, why are we throwing a feast? I've been, he said, I've been slaving away for you. 
In other words, he still saw himself as a slave also. He saw himself as somebody trying to prove his worth. He saw himself as somebody who didn't have a real relationship with the father. The father said, I, I love you. Everything that I have is yours. Now come in here and celebrate with your brother. Some of us today, we're one of the two. We're either, we're either in, we're either working for the father, trying to prove our worth, or we're running from the father, trying to prove our worth. And the father is saying, I love you. Just open your heart. Come back to me. I'm going to wrap my love around you. I'm going to wrap my grace around you. I'm going to bring you all the way in. That is what Christmas is about. Christmas is about the heavenly father wrapping himself in flesh, cloaking himself in the, in the fragility and the frailty of a baby that was completely reliant upon a, a, a stepfather and a mother, an adoptive father and a mother and put himself in that condition so that you could have a relationship with him so that he could relate to you and say, I've been through everything you've been through. I've felt everything you've felt. I've experienced everything you've experienced and I'm still coming after you and I love you. Today, I just pray that somebody would experience the richness and the power and the strength and the joy of what it means to have the everlasting Father invade your world, invade your life, invade your heart. I pray that you would open up to him today and say, Father, I welcome you as my Father. You are my Father and I am your child and I am beloved of you and I want to walk alongside of you and I want to serve you and I want to grow in you and guess what I want to do? I want to go find my brothers and sisters that are out there in the pig pen and I want to bring them into the love of my Father. I want to bring them into the love of their Father that they don't even know. That's what God is calling us to do and be. That's what Christmas is. He is our everlasting Father. Let me pray for you. Father, we come before you right now. I pray for everybody here who is feeling the weight of this truth. Those who have experienced um, good relationships with their fathers. Those who have experienced bad relationships with their fathers. Those who have experienced no relationship with their fathers. Those whose relationship with their fathers is complicated. And I pray, Lord God, that the power of your word, that the reality of you is our everlasting father who never leaves us nor forsakes us, whose love endures forever, whose mercies are new every morning, would, would break through the brittleness and the, the fear and the harshness and the callousness of our heart. And we might experience the love of the father like never before. Let this be the best Christmas we've ever experienced because for the first time, maybe in our life, we're experiencing the true love of the father in our heart. Father, I pray for each and every one of us today as we leave here. Keep us safe. Uh, let us go with the mission in our heart to reach those who are still far from you and to draw them close to you, to draw them close to the love of our everlasting Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.